Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is how the gospel writers sum up Jesus' message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, something like this, a statement like this, I think raises kind of more questions than it answers for many of us. You know, first of all, what does he mean by repent? Right? For many of us, that word conjures up images of an angry preacher behind a pulpit with beads of sweat forming on his probably balding head. Right? All right, anybody have that mental image come to mind? Or perhaps it's the image of people with bullhorns and poster boards out on the streets like some sort of political protest calling the world to repent, right? But I think at the heart of this question about this word, repent, what we're really asking is about tone. We're asking about tone. What tone did Jesus say this with? How did he say it? Right? And the gospel writers describe this proclamation as good news. They say it's good news. So, so if there is some measure of anger or frustration, that is by no means all that is there. Rather than an angry shout, I wonder if, if it was more of a pleading call. Or... Perhaps, maybe, Jesus even spoke this with a smile. This truly is good news. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And now the second question that I think this, this phrase raises for us is, well, what does it mean by kingdom of heaven? Right? What does that mean? You know, this phrase may conjure up some other images for us. We may think of medieval times, knights and castles and flowing royal robes of some sort, some kind of scene out of, out of a, a fantasy movie. You know, or maybe that heaven part, you know, may, makes you think, you, know, you, you do think of that spiritually in some way. So the kingdom of heaven has to do with the day when we all finally get to heaven or something like that. It's this thing that we're all looking forward to someday in the future. But we've already pointed out this morning, as we prayed the Lord's Prayer, that, well, that's not actually what Jesus said. He didn't say, repent so you can go to heaven someday. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So it's something that's already here. It's something that has already arrived, right? Elsewhere, Jesus says to those who ask him, the kingdom is in your midst. The kingdom of God is among you, right? So, so what's going on here? What does he mean by kingdom? Well, these are some of the questions that pop up for us as we hear Jesus' message. And the people of his day would have had plenty of questions as well, which I think is why Jesus regularly taught about the kingdom. This is the message that he comes to bring. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew 13. Matthew chapter 13 is where we've been the last couple of weeks, and we are continuing there this week. Matthew 13 records one of the sermons that Jesus preached, and it is all about the kingdom of heaven. 
And if you've been here the last couple of weeks, well, how does Jesus talk when he tells people about the kingdom of heaven? How is he saying things? Right? Parables, right? You know, you might think, well, the kingdom of heaven is some sort of government structure. So maybe Jesus is going to draft a detailed constitution for us. You know, he's going to detail the form of government, the laws of the land. No, he doesn't do that. What does he do? He tells stories. He tells these parables. Rather than systematic or bullet point teaching, Jesus paints pictures with parables. And rather than the pictures that we've already had conjured up for us this morning of angry protesters or knights in castles or floating around in heaven, Jesus gives us these earthy, common day pictures of seed and soil, of wheat and weeds. And today, as we read, we'll see a couple more pictures to fill out our imagination as we seek this kingdom. So Matthew 13, beginning in verse 31, he put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables. Without a parable, he told them nothing. And this was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth to speak in parables. I will proclaim what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. And thank you for these pictures that you have painted for us and these stories that you invite us into. I pray that as we consider the words of the scripture, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this passage... essentially has three sections to it. There are two stories, and then there's a description about why Jesus is teaching in parables. And so I want to look at all of this, but, but let's start with the stories. Let's start with these parables, right? And though these are two different parables, it seems like they are meant to go together. I think they are set next to each other for a reason. They appear one right after the other here in Matthew and also in their telling in Luke. They're told together as this unit. They're sort of these twin parables. So I think it's helpful to consider them together and reflect on some of the themes that arise from the ways that they're similar to one another, but also some of the ways that they are different from one another. So first of all, what do these stories have in common? 
right? The story of the seed and the story of the yeast. Well, they both begin the same way. The kingdom of heaven is alike. And so they are meant to clue us into that kingdom question that we began with. What does he mean by kingdom? What kind of kingdom is this? What is this kingdom like? And then as each parable goes on, it it explains something small that becomes large, right? That's sort of what we see in both of these. In the first, it's this mustard seed, the smallest of all the seeds. And in the second, it's some some bit of yeast or, or leaven, right? And both of these are relatively common things associated with common acts. Seeds and leaven are readily available. They're all over the place. Planting and baking are everyday activities that would commonly happen. They are ordinary, common things. But the results that Jesus describes here are extraordinary. Jesus uses this sort of hyperbole as he concludes each story. You see, mustard seeds are small, and they can grow rather large, usually a few feet, but possibly up to 10 or even 15 feet, right? That's a big mustard plant. But even then, if it's a, if it's a big mustard plant, it's still just a great shrub, right? A big bush. But that's not where Jesus stops. He says it's the greatest of all the shrubs, and then he goes on to say it's even a tree, right? And so Jesus invents the mustard tree. Now, I don't know if there are any tree experts or botanists here, but last time I checked, there was no such thing as a mustard tree. And yet that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It is this mustard seed that grows big, and it's unexpectedly big, right? There's this sort of hyperbole at play here. And then there's the leaven, right? There's the leaven. And, and like I said, kneading dough and baking bread are common occurrences. But she mixes it in with three measures of flour. And that's not just like three cups. This would be close to about 50 pounds of flour. That's a lot of flour, right? That's a lot of dough. And now it doesn't say exactly how much yeast was used to leaven the dough, but this is what it does say. In verse 33, it says that she took yeast and she mixed it in with the flour. But some other translations say this, or you might see a footnote there. The Greek literally says that she took that and she hid it in the flour. She took it and she hid it in the flour. So the idea is that it's not much yeast. It is yeast that is hidden in 50 pounds of flour. But nonetheless... She took this little bit of yeast, she hid it in the flour, and it worked its way through. And the next thing you know, you have enough bread to feed probably about a hundred some odd people. Right? This is astounding. This is wild. A little bit of yeast, and out pops bread for a village. So both of these parables start with something small that not only grows big, but it grows unexpectedly huge. And I think this shows us something about the kingdom of God. And it is this. The kingdom is not 
obvious, but it is inevitable. The kingdom of God is not obvious, but it is inevitable. All right, so the kingdom of God is not obvious. It is not always apparent. You see, the people of Jesus' day would have heard all this talk of the kingdom. And the picture in their minds probably wouldn't have been medieval castles or floating around in the sky, uh, but rather the rule of God and final deliverance from Rome. This is what they're waiting for. This is what they're expecting. We've talked about this before. And yet, with those expectations in mind, they would have looked at Jesus, this sort of wondering rabbi, and then his ragtag band of followers, and they would have wondered, is this it? Really? This? And then probably they would have either dismissed it or felt really disappointed and totally underwhelmed. But you see, I think we can often feel the same way about God. We read the Bible, we pray, we spend some time around church, and after a while, we can look around and wonder, is this it? Is this really it? And to that, Jesus responds, well, the kingdom is like a tiny mustard seed. It's like some hidden yeast. It's small. It's not obvious. It's common. It's the kind of thing that happens every day. And so we wonder, is this it? And I think Jesus is saying, yeah, this is it. But it's not all. This is it. But it's not all. You see, the kingdom is not obvious. But it is inevitable. I think we, we might need to change our expectations, but we certainly don't need to lower them. Because once that tiny seed is planted, it is going to grow larger than you ever expected it would. Once that yeast gets mixed in, gets, gets hidden, it is going to end up feeding far more people than you ever imagined it would. You see, the kingdom may look small, but it's mighty. It may not be obvious, but it is inevitable. It is coming. It is growing. And this, I think, should give us hope. Because though Bible reading may seem overwhelming, these words truly do give us life. Or though prayer might feel dry, it's not meaningless. God is hearing our words. And though church might get on your nerves sometimes, God really is transforming lives. Right? You may wonder if any change is really happening as we go about feeding homeless and caring for our neighbors. But truly, this is the kingdom of God among us. All of these things that we are doing are infused with the fullness of God. 
with the presence of the kingdom. The kingdom may not always be obvious, but I think it is inevitable. That yeast will rise. These small seeds of faith will be trees someday. So these are some of the themes that begin to arise from the similarities that we see between these two stories. But what kind of themes do we see in the differences? Well, though both of these depict common activities, as we've talked about, one of them is a story about a man, and the other one is a story about a woman. And I don't think that's an accident. And I think the point here is that everyone, everyone is involved in the work of the kingdom. There is no hierarchy in the kingdom. There is no person greater or less than. In fact, the first are going to be last, and the last are going to be first. Everyone is involved in the work of the kingdom. Men and women, rich and poor, people of all races and cultures and tongues across the earth. So, so man, I hope that we can be a church that recognizes the kingdom at work in all people, in every one of us, and then goes on to, to not only recognize that, but really empower those people to lead the way, whether it is women or men. All people are about the work of the kingdom. And so another difference between the parables is I think the direction of the movement in the parable. Let me tell you what I mean by that. The mustard seed grows up into a tree that draws in all the birds of the air. They build their nests there. But then the yeast, right, is spread out through all of the flour until it is leavened. Do you see the difference between these two? The kingdom of God both draws in and sends out. This is the kingdom. The kingdom is both a place to dwell as well as a force that transforms. Or perhaps another way of saying it is that the kingdom of God is contemplative and active. It is not one or the other. It is both of these things. So the kingdom of God is a place to dwell. It is something that draws in. You see, the mustard seed becomes a place where birds of the air nest in its branches. And, and we got to remember, we are those birds of the air. We can't go around pretending like we're the mustard tree. We're not. We're the birds that didn't have anywhere to be home. But we have found our home in God. We have found our home in Christ. We have been called into this kingdom. And it is a place where we dwell for nourishment and for rest. It's why we have practices like scripture reading and prayer. That's why we gather together each week to sing songs and receive communion. All of these are these practices that draw us in 
They show us that the kingdom is a place to dwell. But that's not all there is to the kingdom. At the end of each worship service, we are sent out, right? So each week, we cross the street into the world, and this is where we discover that the kingdom is not only a place to dwell, but also a force that transforms. We are sent. It's like yeast that is spread out into the flower, and it actually transforms the flower, right? Until all of it is leavened. And I think this is a picture of the active redemption that God is bringing about in the world. And remember, the leaven is is literally hidden in the flower. That's the word that's used here. You see, the transformation is not immediate. We've already said it's not necessarily obvious. There there were a story that that I'd love to share. Uh, Many years ago, I was part of a small group. Uh, And in this small group, we would often ask each other, hey, where are you seeing God at work in your life? And we would share and, and, and talk about and reflect on those things. And one of the folks in the group had this funny phrase that she would use to describe these sort of surprising and unexpected blessings that would come across her life. She would talk about some of the different descriptions of God used in the Bible, you know, these different sort of names of God. You've got Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord provides. Or you have Jehovah Rapha, the Lord heals. You might have heard some of these before. Well, She had her own phrase. She said, Jehovah sneaky. (laughs) The Lord is sneaky, right? When there were these little surprising, unexpected blessings that she happened into, these surprising places where the kingdom of God was happening, she would say, oh, there's Jehovah sneaky. And that's what she would share in this group. And the thing is, is that the kingdom of God can be sort of sneaky sometimes, It's hidden among us, but it's slowly transforming us, slowly bringing redemption to us and to the world. And I think this is why we are committed to things like serving at Wildwood or at Reach Out. This is why we're committed to these things because the kingdom is transforming and redeeming the world. And we want to join in. We want to be a part of what is happening. And again, we have to remember, it is not us who are transforming and redeeming the world. We are joining in with the transforming, redeeming work that God is doing. We're joining in with this thing that might not be obvious, but it's inevitable. It's coming. And so from these parables, we can see that the kingdom of God is a place to dwell. And it is a force that transforms. And I think this begins to fill out some of what Jesus meant when he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Because in many ways, repent is a call to come and dwell 
and the nourishing rest of this surprising tree. And the kingdom has come near is this announcement that this leaven is working its way through the world and transforming it. So we've worked our way through the two parables. We've looked at some of these themes, and I want to close by looking at the description of the parables in these last couple of verses, in verses 34 to 35. It says this, Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables. Without a parable, he told them nothing. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth to speak in parables. I will proclaim what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. And I think there's a connection to what's going on here. right? We've already talked about that word hidden. That the yeast was hidden in the flour. And I don't think it's an accident that this is the scripture that Matthew chooses to quote. That Jesus is proclaiming what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. You see, I think that what Matthew is saying is that Jesus is the one who fulfills these parables. That while hidden things are being worked into the world and bringing transformation, Jesus is the one who makes hidden things seen. Who takes these hidden things and expands them. He is the one who fulfills the parables. Jesus is the king of this kingdom. Jesus is the one bringing this kingdom into the world and making this growth and transformation happen. But there's more. What he's quoting is from the beginning of Psalm 78. And this psalm is a story. It itself is sort of a a parable. It's a story that the people of Israel are, are being told. It begins like this. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. And I will utter these dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our ancestors have told us. And it goes on to say, we will not hide them from our children. We will tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. And so Psalm 78 is the psalm where one generation is telling the next, guys, here's what God is up to. Here's what God has been doing. Don't forget these things. Hold on to these things. And in many ways, they're, they're trying to draw one generation into the larger story of God. This next generation is being drawn into that story. I'll share with you another, another story from my own life. Uh, when I was in college... Uh, we would go on these spring break trips uh, with the college ministry at the church that I was a part of. We would go out and uh, serve people in the community and, and do different things. And it was my sophomore year of college, and I had been a part of preparing for this spring break trip that we were going to do. And we were doing all of these preparations, packing all, all these sort of lunches that we were going to be handing out to people and so on and so forth. Um, and I was super excited. I was really excited to go on this trip. 
And then the week before the trip, my grandmother passed away. And so instead of going on the trip, I went back home and uh, we went to the funeral there and, and I thought, well, after the funeral, maybe I can catch the second half of the trip, but that didn't seem right. And I ended up staying with my family the rest of the week. And so after spring break, I headed back and all those folks who'd gone on the trip, I, I asked them, hey, how was it? What happened? And they filled me in. They told me story after story of what happened on that trip, of the things that they did, the people they met. And it was great. It was amazing. And I, I sort of heard these stories and internalized them. And the next year, when that trip came around, a funny thing happened. I found myself telling folks that were about to be going on this trip, oh, guys, last year, we did this. Now, I wasn't there. But somehow I found myself saying, we did this. Because even though I wasn't on that trip, this story had been passed on to me. And I was carrying it forward to this next person. This is what Psalm 78 is doing. It's telling the story of Israel. And from one generation to the next, they're drawing people into this larger story. That's what Jesus does with his parables. He tells these stories. And they're not just nice illustrations. They're meant to draw us in so that we are the ones who have seen mustard seeds become trees. We are the ones who have seen a little bit of yeast hidden in flour produce far more than we would ever imagine. We're the ones. It goes from a story that Jesus has told to the story that we are telling as we live in this kingdom of God. And so I want to ask, are we drawn into them? Are we a part of these stories? Are these things coming true? Are these stories happening? Well, I think they are. Jesus first told this story about a mustard seed growing up and becoming a large tree where birds would nest in the Middle East. And here we are in Federal Way, Washington. I'd say that tree has grown. Here we are, right? What are the odds that something would make its way about as far across the world as you can go. Here we are. We're drawn into this story. This kingdom is spreading. It's actually coming true. And yeah, I think that leaven is truly being worked into the world, and the world truly is being transformed since the day of Jesus. All kinds of good justice has happened in the world. Slavery has been outlawed. I don't think that's an accident. I think that's very much connected with the gospel. I think that we're beginning to see more rights of women and men, as we've already talked about here. This is happening, right? There's a general disdain for uh, states that wield power over people. They don't last that long, and I don't think that's an accident. The gospel is transforming the world. And you might say, 
Well, but there's still so much wrong with the world. Yeah, there are wheat and weeds. We talked about that last week. But the kingdom is spreading. This kingdom is coming. We are part of these stories. So as we close, I just want to offer one more time. You know, if you are someone who's wondering, is this it? Is this really it? And you need a little hope. Remember, this kingdom, it's not obvious, but it is inevitable. It is coming. It's happening. And we can put our hope in it. And if you're on board with this kingdom thing, like you're ready for it, but you're wondering, well, how do I do it? How do I grow like that seed or like that yeast? How can we do this? Well, remember, the kingdom is both a place to dwell and a force that transforms. I'm wondering, which of these aspects of the kingdom do you most need to grow in? Right? Maybe you need to lean a little bit more into some of those contemplative practices of prayer and meditation. Maybe you need to slow down a little, dwell in the kingdom. Or maybe you need to lean a little bit more into some of those active practices like community and service. Maybe you need to get on your feet and go because the kingdom is active. Whichever of these that you do, I want you to remember this. Jesus proclamation. The kingdom has come near, and it is drawing ever nearer. Amen.